Section 36 of Waverley, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piper Hayes. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 1, by Sir Walter Scott. Section 36. Chapter 31. An Examination. Major Melville of Cairnbrecon, an elderly gentleman, who had spent his youth in the military service, received Mr. Morton with great kindness, and our hero with civility, which the equivocal circumstances wherein Edward was placed rendered constrained and distant. The nature of the smith's hurt was inquired into, and, as the actual injury was likely to prove trifling, and the circumstances in which it was received rendered the infliction on Edward's part a natural act of self-defense, the Major conceived he might dismiss that matter on Waverley's depositing, in his hands, a small sum for the benefit of the wounded person. "'I could wish, sir,' continued the Major, "'that my duty terminated here. But it is necessary that we should have some further inquiry into the cause of your journey through the country at this unfortunate and distracted time.' Mr. Ebenezer Cruikshanks now stood forth, and communicated to the magistrate all he knew or suspected from the reserve of Waverley, and the evasions of Callum Beg. The horse upon which Edward rode, he said, he knew to belong to Vicky and Vore, though he dared not tax Edward's former attendant with the fact, lest he should have his house and stables burnt over his head some night by that godless gang, the Macavores. He concluded by exaggerating his own services to Kirken State, as having been the means under God, as he modestly qualified the assertion, of attaching this suspicious and formidable delinquent. He intimated hopes of future reward, and of instant reimbursement for loss of time, and even of character, by travelling on the state business on the fast day. To this Major Melville answered with great composure that so far from claiming any merit in this affair, Mr. Crookshanks ought to deprecate the imposition of a very heavy fine for neglecting to lodge, in terms of the recent proclamation, an account with the nearest magistrate of any stranger who came to his inn. That, as Mr. Crookshanks boasted so much of religion and loyalty, he should not impute this conduct to disaffection, but only suppose that his zeal for a Kirken state had been lulled asleep by the opportunity of charging a stranger with double horse hire. That, however, feeling himself incompetent to decide singly upon the conduct of a person of such importance, he should reserve it for consideration of the next quarter sessions. Now our history for the present saith no more of him of the candlestick, who wended, dolorous and malcontent, back to his own dwelling. Major Melville then commanded the villagers to return to their homes, excepting two who officiated as constables, and whom he directed to wait below. The apartment was thus cleared of every person but Mr. Morton, whom the Major invited to remain, a sort of factor who acted as clerk, and Waverley himself. There ensued a painful and embarrassed pause, till Major Melville, looking upon Waverley with much compassion, and often consulting a paper or a memorandum which he held in his hand, requested to know his name. 
Edward Waverley. I thought so. Late of the Dragoons, and nephew of Sir Everard Waverley, of Waverley Honour. The same. Young gentleman, I am extremely sorry that this painful duty has fallen to my lot. Duty, Major Melville, renders apologies superfluous. True, sir. Permit me, therefore, to ask you how your time has been disposed of since you obtained leave of absence from your regiment several weeks ago, until the present moment? My reply, said Waverley, to so general a question must be guided by the nature of the charge which renders it necessary. I request to know what that charge is, and upon what authority I am forcibly detained to reply to it. The charge, Mr. Waverley, I grieve to say, is of a very high nature, and affects your character both as a soldier and a subject. In the former capacity you are charged with spreading mutiny and rebellion among the men you commanded, and setting them the example of desertion, by prolonging your own absence from the regiment, contrary to the express orders of your commanding officer. The civil crime of which you stand accused is that of high treason, and levying war against the king, the highest delinquency of which a subject can be guilty. And by what authority am I detained to reply to such heinous calumnies? By one which you must not dispute, nor I disobey. He handed to Waverley a warrant from the Supreme Criminal Court of Scotland, in full form, for apprehending and securing the person of Edward Waverley, Esquire, suspected of treasonable practices and other high crimes and misdemeanors. The astonishment which Waverley expressed at this communication was imputed by Major Melville to conscious guilt, while Mr. Morton was rather disposed to construe it into the surprise of innocence unjustly suspected. There was something true in both conjectures, for although Edward's mind acquitted him of the crime with which he was charged, yet a hasty review of his own conduct convinced him he might have great difficulty in establishing his innocence to the satisfaction of others. "'It is a very painful part of this painful business,' said Major Melville, after a pause, "'that, under so grave a charge, I must necessarily request to see such papers as you have on your person.' "'You shall, sir, without reserve,' said Edward, throwing his pocket-book and memorandums upon the table. "'There is but one with which I could wish you would dispense.' "'I am afraid, Mr. Waverley, I can indulge you with no reservation.' "'You shall see it, then, sir, and, as it can be of no service, I beg it may be returned.' He took from his bosom the lines he had that morning received, and presented them with the envelope. The major perused them in silence, and directed his clerk to make a copy of them. He then wrapped the copy in the envelope, and placing it on the table before him, returned the original to Waverley, with an air of melancholy gravity. After indulging the prisoner, for such our hero must now be considered, with what he thought a reasonable time for reflection, Major Melville resumed his examination, premising that, as Mr. Waverley seemed to object to general questions, his interrogatories should be as specific as his information permitted. He then proceeded in his investigation, 
dictating as he went on the import of the questions and answers to the amanuensis by whom it was written down did mr waverley know one humphrey houghton a non-commissioned officer in gardiner's dragoons certainly he was sergeant of my troop and son of a tenant of my uncle exactly and had a considerable share of your confidence and an influence among his comrades i had never occasion to repose confidence in a person of his description answered waverley i favoured sergeant houghton as a clever active young fellow and i believe his fellow-soldiers respected him accordingly but you used through this man answered major melville to communicate with such of your troop as were recruited upon waverley honour certainly the poor fellows finding themselves in a regiment chiefly composed of scotch or irish looked up to me in any of their little distresses and naturally made their countryman and sergeant their spokesman on such occasions sergeant houghton's influence continued the major extended then particularly over those soldiers who followed you to the regiment from your uncle's estate surely but what is that to the present purpose to that i am just coming and i beseech your candid reply have you since leaving the regiment held any correspondence direct or indirect with this sergeant houghton i i hold correspondence with a man of his rank and situation how or for what purpose that you are to explain but did you not for example send to him for some books you remind me of a trifling commission said waverley which i gave sergeant houghton because my servant could not read i do recollect i bade him by letter select some books of which i sent him a list and send them to me at tully violin and of what description were those books they related almost entirely to elegant literature they were designed for a lady's perusal were there not mr waverley treasonable tracts and pamphlets among them there were some political treatises into which i hardly looked they had been sent to me by the officiousness of a kind friend whose heart is more to be esteemed than his prudence or political sagacity they seem to be dull compositions that friend continued the persevering inquirer was a mr pembroke a non-juring clergyman the author of two treasonable works of which the manuscripts were found among your baggage but of which i give you my honour as a gentleman replied waverley i never read six pages i am not your judge mr waverley your examination will be transmitted elsewhere and now to proceed do you know a person that passes by the name of wiley will or will ruthven i never heard of such a name till this moment did you never through such a person or any other person communicate with sergeant humphrey houghton instigating him to desert with as many of his comrades as he could seduce to join him and unite with the highlanders and other rebels now in arms under the command of the young pretender i assure you i am not only entirely guiltless of the plot you have laid to my charge but i detest it from the very bottom of my soul nor would i be guilty of such treachery to gain a throne either for myself or any other man alive 
yet when i consider this envelope in the handwriting of one of those misguided gentlemen who are now in arms against their country and the verses which it enclosed i cannot but find some analogy between the enterprise i have mentioned and the exploit of wogan which the writer seems to expect you should imitate waverley was struck with the coincidence but denied that the wishes or expectations of the letter-writer were to be regarded as proofs of a charge otherwise chimerical but if i am rightly informed your time was spent during your absence from the regiment between the house of this highland chieftain and that of mr bradwardine of bradwardine also in arms for this unfortunate cause i do not mean to disguise it but i do deny most resolutely being privy to any of their designs against the government you do not however i presume intend to deny that you attended your host glenacoic to a rendezvous where under a pretence of a general hunting match most of the accomplices of his treason were assembled to concert measures for taking arms i acknowledge having been at such a meeting said waverley but i neither heard nor saw anything which could give it the character you affix to it from thence you proceeded continued the magistrate with glenacoic and a part of his clan to join the army of the young pretender and returned after having paid your homage to him to discipline and arm the remainder and unite them to his bands on their way southward i never went with glenacoic on such an errand i never so much as heard that the person whom you mention was in the country he then detailed the history of his misfortune at the hunting match and added that on his return he found himself suddenly deprived of his commission and did not deny that he then for the first time observed symptoms which indicated a disposition in the highlanders to take arms but added that having no inclination to join their cause and no longer any reason for remaining in scotland he was now on his return to his native country to which he had been summoned by those who had a right to direct his motions as major melville would perceive from the letters on the table major melville accordingly perused the letters of richard waverley of sir everard and of aunt rachel but the inferences he drew from them were different from what waverley expected they held the language of discontent with government throughout no obscure hints of revenge and that of poor aunt rachel which plainly asserted the justice of the stuart cause was held to contain the open avowal of what the others only ventured to insinuate permit me another question mr waverley said major melville did you not receive repeated letters from your commanding officer warning you and commanding you to return to your post and acquainting you with the use made of your name to spread discontent among your soldiers i never did major melville one letter indeed i received from him containing a civil intimation of his wish that i would employ my leave of absence otherwise than in constant residence at bradwardine as to which i own i thought he was not called on to interfere and finally i received on the same day on which i observed myself superseded in the gazette a second letter from colonel gardiner commanding me to join the regiment an order which owing to my absence already mentioned and accounted for i received too late to be obeyed if there were any intermediate letters and certainly from the colonel's high character i think it probable that there were they have never reached me 
"'I have omitted, Mr. Waverley,' continued Major Melville, "'to inquire after a matter of less consequence, "'but which has nevertheless been publicly talked of to your disadvantage. "'It is said that a treasonable toast having been proposed in your hearing and presence, "'you, holding His Majesty's commission, suffered the task of resenting it "'to devolve upon another gentleman of the company.' this sir cannot be charged against you in a court of justice but if as i am informed the officers of your regiment requested an explanation of such a rumour as a gentleman and soldier i cannot but be surprised that you did not afford it to them this was too much beset and pressed on every hand by accusations in which gross falsehoods were blended with such circumstances of truth as could not fail to procure them credit alone unfriended and in a strange land waverley almost gave up his life and honour for lost and leaning his head upon his hand resolutely refused to answer any further questions since the fair and candid statement he had already made had only served to furnish arms against him without expressing either surprise or displeasure at the change in waverley's manner Major Melville proceeded composedly to put several other queries to him. "'What does it avail me to answer you?' said Edward sullenly. "'You appear convinced of my guilt, and rest every reply I have made to support your own preconceived opinion. Enjoy your supposed triumph, then, and torment me no further. If I am capable of the cowardice and treachery your charge burdens me with, I am not worthy to be believed in any reply I can make to you. If I am not deserving of your suspicion, and God and my own conscience bear evidence with me that it is so, then I do not see why I should, by my candor, lend my accuser's arms against my innocence. There is no reason I should answer a word more, and I am determined to abide by this resolution. And again he resumed his posture of sullen and determined silence allow me said the magistrate to remind you of one reason that may suggest the propriety of a candid and open confession the inexperience of youth mr waverley lays it open to the plans of the more designing and artful and one of your friends at least i mean MacIver of glenacoic ranks high in the latter class as from your apparent ingenuousness youth and unacquaintance with the manners of the highlands i should be disposed to place you among the former in such a case a false step or error like yours which i shall be happy to consider as involuntary may be atoned for and i would willingly act as intercessor but as you must necessarily be acquainted with the strength of the individuals in this country who have assumed arms with their means and with their plans i must expect you will merit this mediation on my part by a frank and candid avowal of all that has come to your knowledge upon these heads in which case i think i can venture to promise that a very short personal restraint will be the only ill consequence that can arise from your accession to these unhappy intrigues waverley listened with great composure until the end of this exhortation when springing from his seat with an energy he had not yet displayed he replied major melville since that is your name i have hitherto answered your questions with candour or declined them with temper because their import concerned myself alone but as you presume to esteem me mean enough to commence informer against others who received me 
whatever may be their public misconduct, as a guest and friend, I declare to you that I consider your questions as an insult infinitely more offensive than your calumnious suspicions, and that since my hard fortune permits me no other mode of resenting them than by verbal defiance, you should sooner have my heart out of my bosom than a single syllable of information on subjects which I could only become acquainted with in the full confidence of unsuspecting hospitality. Mr. Morton and the Major looked at each other, and the former, who in the course of the examination had been repeatedly troubled with a sorry room, had recourse to his snuff-box and his handkerchief. "'Mr. Waverley,' said the Major, "'my present situation prohibits me alike from giving or receiving offence, and I will not protract a discussion which approaches to either. I am afraid I must sign a warrant for detaining you in custody.' but this house shall for the present be your prison. I fear I cannot persuade you to accept a share of our supper. Edward shook his head. But I will order refreshments in your apartment. Our hero bowed and withdrew, under guard of the officers of justice, to a small but handsome room, where, declining all offers of food or wine, he flung himself on the bed, and, stupefied by the harassing events and mental fatigue of this miserable day, he sunk into a deep and heavy slumber. This was more than he himself could have expected. But it is mentioned of the North American Indians, when at the stake of torture, that on the least intermission of agony they will sleep until the fire is applied to awaken them. End of section 36, chapter 31.